welcome to episode 256 of the Customer Support Leaders Podcast. I'm Charlotte Ward. Today, welcome Alec Maloney talking about working in a highly distributed environment. I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Alec Maloney. Now, Alec is someone I know quite well. Um, Hello, Alec. You don't need to introduce yourself to me. Hey. (laughs) You don't need to introduce yourself to me, but um, would you introduce yourself for the benefit of the listeners and, and maybe tell everyone how we know each other? Yeah, no, that's that's probably a good place to start. So um, I, I guess I'll start with what I do. I'm currently a support engineer and how Charlotte and I know each other is I report into Edwin who reports into Charlotte. So I'm mm-hmm. a support engineer at Snowplow where Charlotte works. Thank you so much. Yep, yep. So you've been with Snowplow a year and a half or so now, right? Something in that ballpark? Yeah, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. Okay. Um, and the accent might give it away, but you're based out of Australia. Yes, yes, I am. And, I am a down under Aussie. <laughs> and my accent might give it away, but I'm based out of the UK. Um, and so we're on pretty much diametric sides of the world. And uh, uh, that's kind of what we're here to talk about today, isn't it? What are we talking about? Definitely. Let's let's talk about pretty much how to work in like a highly distributed team. And mm. as, as you know, at Snowplow, we have, what, 11, 12 people? 11. Uh, are distributed you know pretty much on every continent well nearly every continent on the planet so Mm. let's yeah chat about sort of like how we work together and different experiences from being on one side of the earth to the other Mm -hmm. sounds good sounds good um i really love this because um i've covered remote quite a lot on the podcast and um We've never really talked about it from the point of view of the distribution, though. You know, I mean, remote can mean just people in their houses in the US, right? Or, or you know, across a few countries. But but we are, as you pointed out, at Snowplow, we're very, very distributed in support and uh, quite specifically on opposite sides of the world. And that has its challenges because it's, it's, uh, it's difficult to get any number more than two people together let's put it like that right so so um i have i have led and worked with remote teams for more than years than i care to admit um and i know you have as well um and and we're here as um uh, you know as in some ways kind of lead and contributor um and on my side of the organization there is much more of a kind of the the um the gravity, the central gravity of the organization is much more in the UK and the US. So I have more people, more snowplowers around me. Um, whereas down under in Australia, the the the, the number of snowplowers in your geography is thinner, isn't it? So there's there's less of a, a, a weight of the company down there in terms of number of individuals. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing to explore as well. Um, do you want to do you want to start with kind of what your experience is like let's start with the good sides maybe we start there let's let's start happy and and i'm i promise we'll finish happy as well but let's 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 uh let's start with the advantages and your positive experiences of this environment yeah let's dive into it so i I think positive i think the best thing right working with like a dispersed team is you know we we get to work with a lot of different people and cultures that we wouldn't normally and i think you get really different and really rich perspectives from a group of people that aren't sitting in the same country, aren't sitting in the same time zone. And 
I can, even in our team, right, we talk about it quite a lot. We have not just different personalities, but we have like different people that bring really different backgrounds. And I think you get that most in that highly distributed environment, not when you're just sort of like in a single office, even though you might have people from different places in one office, you're getting people who every day are having different experiences. So they're always bringing that to work with them in a new way. So I think that's like a really big positive view. From like even a problem solving angle, you know, you can go to someone on the other side of the planet and get a different kind of take mm. and a different perspective. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um I, I think certainly just the the different experiences that people bring in that kind of environment really, really accelerates your your own growth, both, you know, professionally and technically and and personally, let's be honest. Um uh yeah. Uh, so kind of speed of growth, understanding of uh of more viewpoints than your own um is it uh is it um how can i put this are there positives from the point of view of like from your point of view as we just established um where there are less people around you in your geography is that good <laughs> i guess is the simple question for me it feels like there's a lot of so everything you just said about like being able to talk to people being able to connect a lot of that is is still easier if they're you know one or two hours adrift right and and i have lots of people who are one two three even four hours adrift i mean it's it's workable right yeah yeah definitely i i think there's obvious challenges right if someone's like it's really to UK where we are isn't too bad because my early evenings kind of your morning but the US is definitely like a challenge for Australia because mm-hmm. unless they're on west, west coast, coast time mm-hmm. zone and you know they're, they're sort of like they have that overhang with Australia people like on east coast it's really hard to talk to because if you want to have a meeting with them you've got to schedule it some crazy hour for them or some crazy hour for you so I think that's where you can lose a bit of that face-to-face because you rely largely on like those like Slack mm. or, you know, Jira ticket kind of conversations. But mm. I think also part of sort of like the the challenge, and I think also how you overcome it though, is you get used to working within your region really well, <laughs> where even if there's people who are on different teams, but they're in a nearer time zone to you, you're going mm. to like forge a really good connection with them and you're going to have like opportunities to connect with them and you probably see a lot more cross-functional work and you know cross-functional mm. engagement from those kind of situations yeah yeah uh, i i think you're right M- many moons ago i worked for uh, a u.s company and i was one of a, a small group um, a merry band in the uk and i think i experienced much of what you're talking about actually that the um the folks around me weren't necessarily in support one or two were but there were professional services folks and others around me that um we we were pretty closely bonded to you know we had we were we were called by the the mothership if you will in the US a satellite organization which i'm not keen on because i think that that distances you using that kind of language um subtly distances you from the rest of the organization that's something i was i was never really that enthusiastic about being called um but but the advantages of 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 working with people in different teams are are definitely there aren't they because you have that technical I think the big one for working for a software company is you have that technical expertise around you that is broader than your own as a as a support engineer working with uh, you know your particular technic 
technical specialisms, maybe your subset of customers, your particular product or whatever. Whereas professional services folk back then, for me at least, were going deeper into the product, but but were often had a completely different view on it and, and a completely different set of technical experiences. But they also had a completely different um functional organizational experience so they were much more commercial they understood you know that bit of the customer journey and so I it gave me a real appreciation for a different view than my own just in terms of relating to customers as well I think yeah no and I think we see the same here I know I can at least speak I hope for the Australian team it's snowplow Mm -hmm. but what we've really seen like when I first started right we only had myself and our other support engineer here in Australia and Really, our nearest person was one of the sport engineers in the US who she was working overnight at the time. Mm. And when we got into the European hours, we started to engage, you know, with support and sort of the engineers that would come online. But since, you know, we've seen the team expand, we've, you know, brought on, to your point, like those commercial roles where we've seen like project managers and sales and Mm. technical account managers being brought online. And it's a really good opportunity to connect and understand like what's a team over in professional services trying to solve right now how are they Mm -hmm. delivering training is there something we can take from what they're doing to improve how we're delivering support through is it an article in the kb that can also help them that's also going to help us and then that engineering knowledge i've found to be invaluable in snowplow because we have such a huge product that Mm -hmm. it can be really really difficult to pretty much keep it all in your head at all points in time and we've got some people luckily in our time zone who have you know, that sort of legacy knowledge as well as what's the past 10 years look like. And that's Mm. really, really valuable. And I think that's a strong boon if you can build those sort of like regional relationships across teams, even if it's not just with your other support people, you end up with this sort of really good network of people that you can lean on. And then when you make that effort to then sort of reach out to those sort of, I'm going to call them nearer time zone communities where you can start bridging across into Europe or backwards to America if there's people that are on early enough, you start to then see that knowledge sort of can sort of build into sort of the cyclical version of itself rather than just sort of keeping it in sort of the mothership Mm -hmm. over in London or Boston. It becomes something that does spread about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And having that um that exposure to other teams uh, it allow you know just through one or two team members locally allows you to once you once you bridge those gaps into other regions it allows you to I won't say talk in a knowledgeable way but maybe maybe relate a bit better to other team members in those teams right so you understand a bit of the of the culture and professional services or a bit of the culture in in pre-sales or whatever it may be right yeah absolutely and I think with culture also comes priorities and I know, mm. I know, at least from, I think even even here and, you know, roles I've had in the past, different, you know, departments and sort of divisions across businesses, right, are all going to have different priorities based on oh, what yeah. they're trying to achieve at any one point in time. And having those ties and building that understanding of, okay, this is what they're trying to solve right now, it helps you not just to necessarily be aware of it, but also, you know, understand, okay, this is why everything in sales is going this way right now. And is there something in support, though, where we've solved a problem where we can chime in and go hey we've got this thing that can help the business in this area here yeah yeah absolutely um all good stuff right what what's what's not so good <laughs> what's not so good I, I i think you know the the really obvious one right when you're talking about you know two people sitting in australia 
almost on the opposite end of the globe to where a lot of the central knowledge is stored. And I think when I say central knowledge, I mean more like the intellectual capital. It's yes. what isn't in a knowledge base, what isn't documented. We're lucky we have some engineering team members who have a lot of knowledge, but if we mm. don't go and bug them all day, every day, if we want to understand, okay, what happened 10 years ago in sales, we've mm. got to sort of wait for that sort of like that whole loop to go around. If you're raising asynchronously, you know, I know, you know, I, I'll happily stay up a little bit later to, you know, hook in with the team and have those conversations, but not everyone is in a position to do that. If you've got kids and a family, you can't, you can't really just take the hour out in the middle of dinner time to jump on Slack to have a conversation. And I think that's where people in different situations are going to have really different challenges. And I think as, as, as I hope, you know, remote work and distributed working does is probably very likely to increase, right? And we see mm. more of it. I think we're going to have to think about, yeah, how do we solve these challenges where if I've got a question in Australia, how do I not necessarily have to wait a 24 hour day to connect every time? And how do we, and if we do, like, how do we make that more predictable, more reliable for mm. not just me answering the question, but also the people who are uh, not just me asking the question, but also like the people who are answering it on the other side of the world so that they know, hey, I can get back to this guy and I've given him all the information he needs. So I've got to make sure I'm asking smart questions so that, mm. you know, an engineer on the other side of the globe with specialist knowledge isn't having to come back to me asking, yeah. hey, can you yeah. give me an example of that? And yeah, right. It's front load. It's front loading. It's front loading all the context, isn't it? It it makes yeah. you much more considered in 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 how you ask, what information you provide, and yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sorry, I completely interrupted you there, but um, no, I'm, no, it's all good. I was I was at the end of my thought. <laughs> you said a couple of things. Um, one is you, you touched on you know the convenience, say, of taking a meeting at dinner time with a young family, but but I think also you know it that remote work allows you to be flexible around that too. And I, I think that is, for me, the big give and take here, isn't it? That, um, I, And I think it's really important to me also that not everyone, not the same group of people bear that inconvenience all the time. So I try um, for, it's, it's easier with certain meetings for sure, but, but try to rotate some of that inconvenience or make it, you know, you, you find... Meetings are the big thing, aren't they? That are that are the the trickiest thing about a distributed team is getting together live, and um, I think that for me, I try and spread that inconvenience as much as I can, so that it's it's interrupting someone's dinner, maybe with the family at one time, you know, say once once every two months, but on the on the alternate month, it's it's somebody's got to come in at eleven p.m. or whatever, right? Yeah. I think it's you just try and distribute it as much as you can, um, as best you can, um, and that doesn't always work. It isn't always possible. Um, you used two of my favorite words in in that as well. You said intellectual capital, um, and one of my favorite acronyms. I know you hate an acronym, but is ICM. <laughs> <laughs> intellectual capital management is super important right i think we all know that managing your knowledge is the cornerstone of any successful remote operation and that is really triply true when you're very distributed because you have very little of that live overlap i mean i i've yet to meet the company who has perfected that and some of the stuff that you touched on there particularly that ancient knowledge 
decisions that were made before we ever knew we'd need to write them down, that kind of thing. Uh, that's really hard to extract and capture, isn't it? So there, I think, is inevitably a, a debt that you have to cope with, um, an organisational yeah. and, a, and a, a, an intellectual debt that you will always have to cope with. And I think that the trick for any organisation is getting ahead of that. But sadly, no organisation ever does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that's always the outcome of like I, I always call it the startup phase right of any company but I think it's always mm. the challenges when, when you're young and you, you know you're not operating at scale so when you're looking at operational investment right it's not the first area you think of as you know yeah we need to you know invest in like KCS internally and externally kind of practices and make yeah. sure that every single thing's written down on a piece of paper and I, I think it's, I don't want to say it's a trap that everyone falls into, but I think it's just part of like the maturity curve in a way where mm. when, 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 you know, a company's in its really early stage, it's not, no one's really thinking about it. I probably outside of support, I'm sure there is probably always some support, support person there, you know, rallying the troops to try and document as much as possible. But mm. I think, yeah, like it, it, he's, it's probably going to hit this point of critical mass. And I think that's when it, it gets to that point of critical mass and often I think it's well I've seen it triggered most often by it's that person who's been there since the dawn of time who might they don't have to be you know like Methuselah in the shade but they've mm. been with the company a long time they're doing a lot of manual work there's a lot of work which goes unseen and that person leaves the company and you lose not just that sort of um yeah like the intellectual capital that they've been holding mm -hmm. but you also lose like a lot of that sort of like tacket knowledge of how they've been doing their job and how they've been executing tasks mm -hmm. and i think it's when that player leaves that's when you start to see sort of a few light bulbs go off across the place and people are like hold on how do we now try and recapture all this information that's mm -hmm. either just walked out the door or you know being shifted into a different department or a mm -hmm. different division Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually, and actually, that's that's often the case, isn't it? It's just as companies grow, things have to move around. Responsibilities and remit have to move around. So, as you say, part of the maturity curve isn't isn't necessarily people leaving. It, it's just that other people have to take on some of that workload, and so you have to be yeah. able to to capture it and move it around the the organization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I think that's. That's painful at the best of times, but I, I would only encourage anyone out there thinking of starting their own business to start start thinking about that sooner rather than later. And it's always going to be later, but make it as soon as you dare, right? Um, okay. Um, I think uh, the final thing that I um, would like to ask you is, is there anything that... I should be doing better. There's a tough question. <laughs> I feel like I've just walked into my like skip level. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't. No, it's pretty pretty much. <laughs> no, funny. I mean, because nobody does spot, it perfect, no. right? I mean, we're here. We're here having this conversation with you, you know, on a Friday night and me on a Friday morning. Um, I do feel like we often end up talking on our skip levels into your evening. And we do talk quite a lot when we talk. Because bear in mind what I just said about trying to distribute the pain. Should I, should I come in late at night a bit more? Should I? Should we? Uh, should we swap that around a bit? Would that help? 
I, I don't think so because I'm not a morning person by <laughs> any sure means of the words. I think I think we share that affliction um, yes. quite quite reliably. The the two a.m. Slack messages and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess I guess I know I threw you on under the bus there a little bit. But sorry about that. But um, I I think the point I was trying to make is that um, and maybe I should have front loaded the point I was trying to make to make you feel a bit more comfortable. Sorry, but the point I was trying to make was that. Um, actually, we shouldn't make assumptions about when people are going to be free or not, right? And I think that um, often people would assume that something will work for somebody in Australia because it works for them. Uh, you know, so I, I, you know, the assumption for me would be, or I, I know it's not true because we've been working together for a while, but but I would assume that maybe I should come in late and, and give you a morning meeting, but that's that's not necessarily what would work for you. And there are people who and and I've had this assumption made about me. People would assume that I would prefer a 6 p.m. meeting than an 8 p.m. meeting, you know. But actually, like you said earlier, dinner with the family is quite a thing. So actually, once, particularly when I had young children, getting them to bed, it's easier to take a 10 p.m. meeting than a 6 p.m. meeting. And I think I think one thing that I um, would encourage anyone listening to do is, like, put all of those assumptions aside about what and actually ask, you know, or or at least learn over time when people are expressing this is difficult, this is difficult. Like offer something else, right? Be flexible. Yeah, definitely. And and like from past experience, I, I've been rather lucky really before here. I've worked in remote workforce, well not sorry, remote workforces, but you know, my team has been remote and they were all in the Philippines, which was only about two hours behind me. Mm. So we could schedule those meetings in the middle of the day and it didn't really bother anybody because we just had to make sure that we were one side of lunchtime and otherwise nobody was too fussed. But yeah. I think here, and, and I even I know I do it here, where you, you're sort of playing calendar like dodgems at times because there's, and I think, I think probably this is something you do, which I think is really good, is you'll block out your like don't book time. And I think that's really a really good tactic. And I, mm. I don't do it myself, but I think, you know, if there's anybody out there who's like, people keep booking my calendar meetings in this horrible time that I don't want them to, like, it's a really good tactic just to like, set up a recurring calendar block and make it like, if you're on a distributed team, you're managing one, or you're a part mm. of a distributed team, and you're a sport engineer, block out your calendar and just make it really clear to people like, you know, book my meetings after this or before this, but just like, yeah. leave yeah. these blocks alone. So you can put that family time aside, or you're you know, date night aside with your partner and, mm -hmm. you know, make sure you're still taking time to get that break. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important. I, I, I think we underestimate calendars. <laughs> They're just such a useful tool. I am, um, I would encourage anyone and I know support engineers are the worst at this, at, at, at using calendars effectively because they live in Slack, they live in, uh, you know, other tools and calendars are, because meetings are not a big part of the day-to-day -day in most support um, folks' life here at Snowplow or at any other organization I've worked at. But but um, particularly once you get to a certain layer in the organization, it's all meetings. And so you get very used to operating out of your calendar. But, but I would just advise everyone to get really good at calendars because you can have all of the time zone tools and, and everything else that you want, but nothing works better than just going into Google and looking at everyone everyone's day and saying, yeah, she doesn't want. She clearly doesn't want a meeting there because it says "do not book." Like, and and it and you know, it just it just quickly alleviates all of the kind of e free 
we be we be bathing the kids? Is that you know? Are you still in bed at that time? Like, just get good at calendars, please. If there's nothing else you take from this conversation, get good at calendars. That's my one ask. <laughs> that's the episode okay. title. <laughs> that's the episode title. I'm going to make it that now. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, Alec. I hope it wasn't too tortuous to talk to uh, talk to another snowplower on a podcast, but. <laughs> Not at all. It's it's been a really good time. That's it for today. Go to customersupportleaders.com forward slash 256 for the show notes and I'll see you next time. Mm